With Jim Harbaugh's departure to the National Football League, Texas against Michigan in week two is now officially a must-win game for the Longhorns, in my opinion. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, I explain why Michigan in Ann Arbor in the big house versus Texas is a must-win game in week two. For the Longhorns in the second segment, our latest commitment out of the portal, much needed depth in that defensive tackle room. Tia Savea coming over from Arizona, spending his last year of college football with the Texas Longhorns on the 40 acres. And speaking of on the 40 acres, the Texas basketball team is on fire after a rough stretch, two straight top 11 wins. The latest coming on the road against Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry. Now six straight wins in that matchup overall. All of that and more. On today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm going to reiterate my point. I now believe with Jim Harbaugh's departure to the National Football League that the game between Texas and Michigan in Ann Harbor in the big house is a must win game for the Texas Longhorns. And in no way, shape or form, am I saying this game is going to be easy for Texas in no way, shape or form. Am I saying Texas is going to go in there and roll over Michigan, right? Obviously Texas is going to have to go in there and play 60 minutes of Texas Longhorns football execute at a high level to win this game. And it's going to be a very tough game for the Texas Longhorns, but the expectations for this program have changed, right? The temperature of this program have changed, right? The temperature of the program has changed now that you were 11 yards away from playing this Michigan team in the national championship game. So I believe now going into 2024, Texas should expect to win every game that they play in. And the team that we just saw go undefeated and win the national championship is not the team that Texas will be facing off against in week two in the big house. I think Texas should have the advantage in this matchup. I know they opened up as two and a half point favorites. I believe by the time the game is played, they will be probably three and a half to four point favorites against Michigan even with that game being in the big house. When you look at why I think this is a must-win game for the Texas Longhorns now, one of the biggest reasons, maybe the biggest reason, is the, uh, I don't say the retirement, (laughs) but the uh, departure of Jim Harbaugh to the National Football League, leaving Michigan behind, right? I think unquestionably over the last 20 years, Jim Harbaugh has been one of the best coaches Uh, at any level of football, right? Like in college and NFL, he's had a ton of success in both. And I think, you know, it'd be hard to find too many coaches that could rival Jim Harbaugh's success over the last 20 years in college football and the National Football League combined, right? I think he's just one of the best coaches, period. And I think they might have that advantage, right, in terms of the coaching matchup if Steve Sarkeesian was to face off against Jim Harbaugh. Nothing against Steve Sarkeesian, all the credit in the world to Jim Harbaugh, right? When you look at what he was able to do In his first year at Stanford, taking over a program that was in the dirt, right? He beat USC as a 41-point underdog, which I believe is still the largest uh, betting upset in college football history. In his fourth year, right, like I said, he took over a program in the dirt. They had four wins his first year. In his fourth year, he led Stanford to a 12-1 and season. 
in 2010. Then he went to the NFL and took the 49ers to the Super Bowl and multiple NFC championship games. And there was a controversial call at the end of the Super Bowl that maybe could have went Jim Harbaugh's way instead of John Harbaugh's way. And he'd be a Super Bowl champion. And then he won a national championship at Michigan, along with three straight Big Ten titles and three straight wins against Ohio State. And if you go look at uh, the history of the game or that matchup between Ohio State and Michigan, that's not something that's been done a lot. Right. Michigan winning three straight of those matchups. So. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, like I said, is one of the best coaches at any level in football right now. And he certainly will be missed on that sideline for Michigan right in week two against Texas. I think that's advantage Texas that he will not be there, especially if Sharon Moore will be taking over for Harbaugh. Right. I know he coached four games last year. Right. As an interim. But this will be his second official game as a head coach. And Steve Sarkeesian should have the advantage in that matchup. When you look at the roster, once again, this is not the Michigan team that just won the national championship, right? They went all in. A lot of players came back. They had a lot of experienced veteran players on this team. And now most of those players will be moving on. When you look at what they're losing from this football team, they're losing their starting quarterback in JJ McCarthy and say what you want about JJ McCarthy, but all he did was win <laughs> at Michigan. It's going to be tough to replace his production, even though they're a run first football team, right? So maybe I shouldn't say tough to replace his production, right? But it's going to be tough to bring in another quarterback and just say, go be J.J. McCarthy, right? I think he was underrated at Michigan because of what he was asked to do or lack thereof. They're leading rusher in Blake Corum, but I do believe personally that Donovan Edwards is better. So I guess we'll see in week two. They lost two of their three starting receivers. They lost their entire offensive line, which was one of the best units in the country. While Texas is bringing back four of their five starters from last season, they're losing their leading tackler at the linebacker position. They're starting defensive tackle, two starting edges. They're starting wheel linebacker, a starting corner, and a starting nickel. And because Jim Harbaugh left to go to the NFL yesterday, they now have a 30-day transfer portal window where more players can enter the portal and decide where they want to play or decide their next destinations if they don't want to stay at Michigan now that Harbaugh is not there. Now, I think if Sharon Moore takes over, then that culture kind of stays in place, and a lot of those players will stay at Michigan and stick it out. But certainly some players will enter the portal, and that may take away you know, from their roster production and talent when Texas faces off against them in Week 2. So I think the only advantages Michigan may have in that game roster-wise – you could say maybe the defensive backfield. I think that's probably more of a push. But, you know, if you wanted to give the edge to Michigan, I wouldn't be mad about that. And then the defensive tackle room, I certainly would give them the edge there. Outside of that, I think at every other position, Texas certainly should have the advantage in that game. Also, when you look at it next year, the college football playoff is going to be moving from four teams to 12 teams. But I don't think that significantly increases the margin for error. When I looked at the standings this year at the end of the season, right, the top 12 teams all only had two losses. Right. So even the 12th ranked team was 10 and two. Right. After conference championship weekend. And if you lose this game to Michigan, that significantly decreases your margin for error throughout the rest of the season. Now, Texas doesn't have the toughest SEC schedule. Right. It's not you know, crazy to think that Texas could slip up against Michigan and then run the table similar to the way they did uh, last year against Oklahoma before getting to the college football playoff. But if you lose to Michigan, you still have to play Georgia. You still have to play Oklahoma in a neutral site game. You still have to go on the road to play Arkansas and Texas A&M. And all of those games are losable games for the Texas Longhorns. I'm not saying they're going to lose them. Obviously, you know, three of those four games they should win and Georgia should be a very tough matchup. But we as Texas fans know anything can happen in Red River. 
Arkansas and Texas A&M, you're going on the road to historical rivalries that have lasted for over 50 years, right? You know what I mean? Like, those could be very tough games for the Longhorns, and I would not be surprised, especially if their first year in the SEC, if they lost on the road to Arkansas, if they lost on the road to Texas A&M, even though, you know what I mean, I'd be depressed for weeks, right, if that happened. And, of course, you know, Georgia's won two out of the last three national championships. So if what we saw last year at the end of the season shows us that the top 12 teams will likely be 10-2 and two or better, if you lose to Michigan in week two, that, like I said, significantly decreases your margin for error throughout the rest of the season. I think Texas needs to be 10 and two to get into the college football playoff next year, even with the 12 team expansion. I think nine and three, you're asking for some help. I think nine and three, you're right on the outside looking in. And honestly, I don't even think nine and three is a good year for Texas in the first year in the SEC. I just don't. Like, I think their schedule is favorable enough, and I think this Texas football team is talented enough, especially bringing back year three Steve Sarkeesian and the way they've built the roster on both sides, that they should not lose three games in the regular season next year, right? So I think they should go 10-2, and two, and I think the best way to ensure that you're in the college football playoff and the best way to ensure, right, that you're having a season that's representative of the talent on the roster and the current you know status of this program which i think 10 and 2 or better every year should be the goal at this point is to make sure that you beat the teams you're supposed to beat and i now believe with jim harbaugh's departure and half the roster's departure that texas even on the road even in the big house in ann arbor michigan should win that game and that's why i'm declaring it right now on january 25th 2024 a must win for the longhorns Today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, You'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay Guaranteed Fit only available to U.S. customers. All right, so with the losses of Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy and Trill Carter, right, entering the portal and going on to Auburn, uh, this is a position that was a strength, like a super strength. You know, we probably had the best defensive tackle production in the country last year, having two All-Americans. And then, you know, Murphy winning a Big 12 defensive lineman of the year and then Tavondre Sweat winning Big 12 defensive player of the year overall. So we probably had the best production at the defensive tackle room last year in the country. And that's a huge reason why we had the third ranked rush defense in the country and a huge reason why we made it to the college football playoff and Texas had their best season in over a decade. And I think Texas has loaded up right going into 2024 at almost every position, but defensive tackle, right? You lost your defensive line coach and Bo Davis. We've already seen, um, you know, the impact of that. And then, you know, you lose, uh, you know, like I said, the players I mentioned, and now you have some question marks at that position going into next season. And you do have, you know, Vernon Broughton, Sadir Mitchell and Alfred Collins returning 
next season, but none of those players have ever had a huge impact at the 40 acres or impact big enough to where we can say, oh, okay, we're fine losing players like Tavatre Sweat and Byron Murphy at that position. But Texas did do a good job of bringing in some reinforcements or bringing in some depth to compete and hopefully play at a high level at that position with Tia Savea, right? Transfer a defensive tackle from Arizona with one year of eligibility remaining. Hopefully he can make the most of it at the 40 acres. He is 6'4", 305 pounds. You're just hoping that he can, you know, plug up the middle and, you know, give your linebackers more space and more freedom to roam and make plays in the backfield or sideline to sideline, right? Last year, uh, one and a half sacks, I think like 14 tackles, something like that. He's just a big, you know, space eater that's going to occupy blocks. And like I said, make, you know, your linebackers job a little bit easier, right? He is now the fourth player to commit to Texas as a direct result of Nick Saban's retirement, right? So Nick Saban retires, and then you see certain players, you know, enter the transfer portal or decide to decommit from the program. Three of those players that entered the portal and came directly from Alabama to Texas were Kendrick Blackshire, Isaiah Bond, and Amari Nyblack, right? But then, of course, uh, you know, Kalen DeVore leaves Washington to take the job at uh, Alabama. So now Washington's players are on the market, I guess. And then Arizona's coach leaves to go to Washington. So that left Arizona's players on the market. And that is a direct result of Nick Saban's retirement that Tia Savea ended up at Texas in the transfer portal. And when you look at it, this Arizona team made a huge turnaround last season. And Tia was a big part of that, right? This is a team that won five games in 2022. They doubled their win total and won 10 games in 2023. Right. And they ended the season on a seven game win streak. To me, there are so many, uh, you know, accurate comparisons and there are so many similarities between this 2023 Arizona team and the 2022 Washington team. Now, I'm not saying Arizona is going to play in the national championship next year. But when you look at what Washington did in 2022 and when you look at what Arizona did in 2023, it's eerily similar. So both of those teams ended the season on a seven game win streak. Right. Both of those teams doubled or more right their win total from 2021 to 2022 or 2022 to 2023 and both of those teams ended their season winning the Alamo Bowl against a big 12 team right for Washington it was against Texas and for Arizona it was against Oklahoma right so a lot of you know eerie similarities between the 2022 Washington team that Texas faced off against and the Alamo Bowl and the 2023 Arizona team that went from five wins to 10 wins last year and Savea being one of the biggest reasons for that. When you look at their defense, who will now be coordinated by Dwayne Aquina, right? I wish he was here coaching our DBs, right? And we got the, you know, um, glimpse of hope that he would be a defensive analyst for us. And then that lasted like three days and then they offered him the defensive coordinator position and he went back. So I expect that, you know, defense to continue to be a staple for the Arizona football team, even as they move to the big 12. But when you look at what they were able to do last year, they were 30th in scoring defense, right? So only 29 teams allowed more points per game than Arizona last season, 27th in rush defense, right? You know, Tia Savea was a big reason for that. And they were 91st in pass defense, right? So a lot of similarities there to the, you know, Texas defense, you know, just not as good as run defense and not as good overall. But they were 91st in pass defense, but some context to that, right? 
They were a 10-win team in the Pac-12. We know the Pac-12 is certainly pass-happy, and we know if you're a 10-win team, then you're going to have leads in games, and teams are going to have to pass to catch up. So, you know, similar to, you know, Texas and their secondary, you know, you have to add some context to those numbers, even though we saw against Washington that, you know, our secondary probably was indeed as bad as the numbers showed, right? But I do think them being 91st in pass defense had a lot to do with them being a 10-win team in a pass-happy conference, teams trying to catch up, teams trying to win games at the end. So naturally, you're going to give up more passing yards because teams are passing the ball more than they're running it against your team. Now you can say that they were 27th in rush defense because the Pac-12 doesn't run the ball. And so, you know, maybe that's misleading, but we got Tia Savea. So I'm going to choose to believe that it's because Tia Savea was a dog right at Arizona and will continue to be a dog at the 40 acres. And then I talked about that defensive tackle depth, Alfred Collins, Tia Savea, Sadir Mitchell, Vernon Broughton, Jeray Blitz. So whoever is the top four or five rotation, however we deploy the bodies, uh, you know, you're just hoping that, Obviously, you're, you're not going to have Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy production, but you're hoping that those players can more than hold their own. You know, obviously, it would be great if one of them could step up and be a superstar and step up and be one of the best players of this team. But you're just hoping that this room can be a plus for you. Right. And if this room can be a plus for you, then you should still be good enough to compete for a national championship because every other room on this football team is loaded now. Who will be coaching Tia Savea directly <laughs> is a question mark. Right. I've talked about the impact of losing Bo Davis and how some of the best defensive tackles or prospects at that position in the country are now at other schools, likely because of Bo Davis's departure. Talking about Dominic McKinley, who is now at LSU with Bo, uh, DeAndre Robinson, who was committed to Texas, who is now at Florida, and then Jamari Caldwell from the University of Houston, who is now at Oregon, probably because Bo Davis left to go to LSU. And the smoke Right. Or the rumor mill was that, you know, former uh, Texas defensive lineman, All-American and national champion Rod Wright was the favorite to take over once the Texans season ended as the defensive line coach at the University of Texas. But that smoke has slowed down significantly. Right. And Tex the Texans, the Houston Texans are moving on from their defensive line coach. Right. And so it looks like now. Rod Wright is going to stay in house and get that promotion to defensive line coach for the Houston Texans. So where does that leave Texas in terms of their search for their next defensive line coach? Right. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know, but they need to figure it out soon. They need to figure out who will be coaching Tia Savea and the rest of the room uh, next year, because it now looks like they will not be getting Rod Wright to replace uh, Bo Davis. So, you know, we'll see where they go at that position. Right. You know, hopefully it's somebody that can come in and at least maintain what Bo Davis did. He's a legendary coach. I'm not sure if you can come in and be better, but at least maintain what he did the last three years at the 40 acres. That remains to be seen. Right. A lot remains to be seen about this defensive tackle room, but they're doing a good job at continuing to add bodies, continuing to add talent and hopefully two or three of them stick. Right. And I think Tia Savea could definitely be a very good player for Texas next year on the 40 acres. Getting out of here talking about this Texas basketball team, man, how much can change in a week, right? You know, last week, uh, Texas had lost to Texas Tech. They had lost to West Virginia. They had blew a 17-point lead to UCF. On top of that, Rodney Terry goes out and does the horns down thing and starts a national conversation about Texas being soft and hating the horns down and not being ready for the SEC. Like, all of this was just happening just a week ago, right? You know what I mean? Like, and it looked like, you know, this Texas basketball program was in flux. People were coming out the woodworks talking about Rodney Terry and his job security. It was just a bad look. 
And now a week later, all of that has changed, right? I know there's still people that have their doubts about Rodney Terry. And I certainly think even as probably the biggest Rodney Terry fan in the world, that he still has a lot to prove, right? I think he earned the job last year, but now he has to, you know, earn the right to keep the job or prove that he is the right coach over the course of his contract, right? And when you looked at this Texas basketball team and the losses that they had, those were bad losses, right? The only way to make up for those bad losses is with really good wins. And the last two games for Texas have been really good wins. You started off by beating Baylor at home in the Moody Center on Saturday, kind of restoring the aura to the Moody Center, right? Because, you know, last year you had only lost two games, period. Or I think up until last week, you'd only lost two games, period, in the Moody Center. And then you lose two games back-to-back, right, in the Moody Center. So uh, you got that aura back, beating Baylor on Saturday in the building. And then you went on the road on Tuesday night in the Red River rivalry and got your sixth straight win in that matchup against Oklahoma. And you beat them handily, right? 75 to 60. So um, like I said, you know, what a difference a week makes. And, you know, hopefully this Texas basketball team can continue that momentum moving forward. When you look at what they were able to do against Oklahoma um, on Tuesday night, this could be the type of win that propels you to playing your best basketball for the rest of the season. Right. Because to me, you know, this was a complete win. And I think they played really well offensively and defensively. Like they were able to hang their hat on both sides. And I think that, like I said, this is the type of win, you know, a gritty win on defense, but, a, a you know, a beautiful, you know, kind of sexy win on offense right? <laughs> that can, you know, really get your confidence going and, you know, get you to playing your best basketball in the best conference in college basketball. So they were able to hold Oklahoma to 39% field goal shooting and 21% from three. You're going to win the majority of your games when you defend like that. Texas shot 50% from the field and 44% from three, respectively. You're going to win the majority of your games when you shoot like that, right? So like I said, a dominant defensive performance, a dominant offensive performance, beating Oklahoma 75 to 60 on Tuesday night. Max Aceman showed up in a big way, 22 points with four threes made. Dylan DeSue showed up in a big way, 19 points on 10 shots. Kendall Weaver continues to make huge plays for this basketball team and his impact goes far beyond the box score. He had 11 points in 28 minutes and Dylan Mitchell has shown so much improvement this season with 21 points and rebounds combined. So those four players combined to score exactly, you know, what Oklahoma did. Right. Um, And then, you know, the rest of the team scored 15 more points to make it a 15 point win. But um, when you look at it, like I said, just a dominant performance on offense and defense and this Texas basketball team is rolling right now. But you don't want to lose this moment, right? Because you still have two very tough games coming up. I mean, the rest of your schedule period in the conference is tough. And your next two games are at BYU on Saturday. BYU is currently ranked 21st in the country and at home on Monday against number four Houston, right? Which is one of the best teams in the country and certainly a national championship contender, right? So I think a lot of people are, you know, still kind of wait and see with the basketball team right now, right? Like, Okay, they had a tough stretch. They've made up for it somewhat, you know, with two top 11 wins in their last two games. But I do think what they do over the next two games will kind of determine the temperature around this program and the temperature around the fan base in terms of the Texas basketball team. Because if they go out and lose to BYU and Houston, we're right back at square one. Right. And we're right back at this Texas basketball team being too talented for the product they're putting on the field. But if you go out and beat BYU and Houston four straight top 25 wins in the big 12 with two of them being on the road, then we have to completely change the narrative around this Texas basketball team. So they have a huge opportunity to go out and, you know, 
<laughs> you know, make their supporters right and prove their doubters wrong over the next two games and show everybody that even though they started off, you know, with a rough stretch and even though the horns down was a cloud over this program for a few days, that they're still one of the best basketball teams in the country. And as long as we have Max Aismas, Dylan DeSue, and Dylan Mitchell playing the way that they are, we're going to be a tough out against anybody. So excited to see these games against BYU on Saturday and then against Houston on Monday. I think they at least need to go one and one, but, you know, absolutely and obviously I'm rooting for them to go 2-0. and And I think if they go 2-0 and in those two games with four straight top 25 wins in the Big 12 Conference, two of those being on the road, I think the narrative about this Texas basketball team changes completely going forward throughout the rest of the season. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, messing up. Peace.